Hello and welcome to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm Glossy's West Coast correspondent, Liz Flora. If you're a regular listener, you might have heard me hosting a few episodes earlier this year. For some of you, I may be new. But starting in January, I'll be taking over as host of the Glossy Beauty Podcast full-time as last week was Priya's last episode. But before we get into next year, I wanted to take a look back at 2022 and what it meant for the beauty world. So joining me today are two of my Glossy Beauty colleagues. First, we have Sarah Spruckfeiner, our senior reporter for Glossy Pop. Hi, Sarah. Hi. And we have Emma Sandler, Glossy's beauty and wellness editor. Welcome, Emma. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So much has happened in the beauty industry this year, and we have a lot to go over. I wanted to look at some of the main themes that we've all been covering this year. So first, one of the big areas that we always look at is social media. Where are beauty brands focusing their efforts and seeing results? One trend that was so undeniable this year was the continued power of the short video format. TikTok is obviously one of the main platforms for this. Trending TikTok content had a major impact on beauty trends, and we've seen traditional social platforms like YouTube and Instagram doubling down on short video. Google released its trending terms for the year, and it reads like a laundry list of viral TikTok trends. We saw stuff like the passport makeup trend, Addison Ray lip gloss trend, white dot trend, Douyin blush, which is basically the word for the Chinese version of TikTok, um, which made its way over to TikTok as a beauty trend. We've been covering these trends over the past year. And Sarah, you've especially had insight into the influencers. You've been interviewing the top beauty TikTokers like Michaela Noguera. So did you want to talk about how important TikTok is to every beauty brand and the trend cycle these days? Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting. I actually had an interview yesterday um, where I was talking to a brand about how TikTok is now becoming so much a part of, you know, it's more familiar than it was, right? So like three years ago, you, I guess it's all, yeah, it's like already three years ago, you had Elf as really one of the first brands to really make a splash on TikTok with their viral eyes, lips, face song. And that became a sort of playbook of sorts, which is something that Glossy has covered extensively. I remember Emma did an amazing story about um, audio um, marketing and how brands create songs for TikTok. I did a story at one point about, um, I think, Essence Cosmetics doing a song. And that that became something that it, it became like a, a playbook that brands could follow for let's create a song and a campaign around that song or a trending sound. Um, or let's respond to this existing trend or a product would go viral and every influencer would try that same product. Obviously, that doesn't really work for brands because they can't respond to another brand's product going viral unless maybe they're, you know, saying this product of ours works like this as well. Um, and this this um, interview that I was doing yesterday, they were saying that it's actually now finally changing and that brands are are taking the reins to be a little bit more creative on TikTok and sort of create their own content outside of the framework of these trends and outside of the framework of sort of like the existing, um, the existing like structures that are on TikTok and already popular. So 
I think the question of like the future of TikTok and the future of TikTok for brands is a, is a big conversation and one that we're going to continue to have and cover. But I'm curious in 2023 to see hopefully brands get more creative with their use of TikTok and sort of use it in a perhaps less prescribed way and break out of some of what for these past two, three years has become sort of like the norm and like the the almost script for how a beauty brand or even a fashion brand can effectively use TikTok um, and kind of now market in different, different ways. Something I would like to add to that is that brands to the point that Sarah shared with Elf, brands would come onto TikTok with very big hashtag challenge campaigns. The headlines in all the TikTok stories were about record-breaking views on these types of big, splashy campaigns. But you're seeing over the past 12 months a transition to an always-on strategy. It's less about these tentpole marketing moments and instead having a consistent presence throughout the year. One example that comes to mind on a story that I did was with Clinique. They have a nine-month campaign called Clinique C-Suite where they've engaged several influencers to create dozens, if not hundreds, of pieces of content that will be shared continuously throughout the year. Um, and it was really uh, a transition or a pivot from their previous TikTok strategy. Yeah, it's been so crazy to talk to brands over the course of this year. I feel like every brand I talk to, when I ask them, what is your top platform that you're focusing on? It's shifted so much to TikTok. There's been definitely some Instagram in there as well, but a lot of beauty brands are saying it used to be Instagram. Now it's TikTok. And just the data from the past year is interesting to look at. There was a Gen Z State of Beauty report that we reported on by the Gen Z media company Cura. And it said the top brand for Gen Z this year for beauty was Elf Cosmetics. And the whole list was basically just brands that have gone viral on TikTok, like Dior was on the list because they had this very viral moment with its with their lip oil. And then we have Instagram, which has been through another year of focusing on reels. The head of Instagram, Adam Masseri, announced a year ago that reels would be Instagram's biggest focus for 2022. And I've been hearing from brands all year about how they've been adjusting to that pivot. For example, one brand I spoke with, said that when that shift happened, they had been doing two photos and one video a day, and then they totally revamped their focus and they did two videos and one photo a day. So brands really have had to totally revamp their social strategy when it comes to Instagram. What do you guys think of what brands are up to on Reels? Is anyone seeing success on Reels? Everything that I have seen relating to Reels is pretty much people taking their TikTok videos and reposting them on Reels. I don't think they have the discovery engine that TikTok offers. I don't think it is a platform that is native to what TikTok offers, which is uh, an unvarnished approach that is more humor-focused, more 
more ad-libbed, whereas Instagram has traditionally been the place where you put a very special curated, edited video or photo. It's just not a place that necessarily makes sense or bridges what people have already come to associate Instagram as. Sarah, what have you been hearing from influencers about what they think about Reels? Because you're you're big in the TikTok beauty world. Are the TikTokers seeing success on Reels? Are they focusing on TikTok? What What's going on with the beauty world? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's not, I wouldn't say it's something where I have an answer necessarily specific to Reels. But what I hear from influencers is very much um, it tied and in tandem with what Emma said, which is that Instagram has not been able to break its association with that, uh, let's say, 2009, like 2013, like picture of your like marble coffee table and your croissant and your like latte with like the chic foam or whatever. I feel personally attacked, Sarah, because that is me. <laughs> And, and I think that's, like, all of us, right? Like, this, we are three millennial females. Like, you know, Gen Z would like to take us down. I saw a TikTok the other day of a, that was, like, a Gen Zer telling millennials how to use Instagram stories. And it, it was absolutely a personal assault. Um, so the, met some of the influencers that I speak to who are, uh, you know, the OGs who are older, are still trying and to a certain extent struggling to familiarize with that ad lib, um, you know, just get on TikTok and like sort of caring less, you know, like it's a, it's a completely different mentality. And for these women who kind of wrote the playbook for social media and like what an influencer is and does and kind of invented the rules, like, you know, they were doing brand, like I recently did a story about Emily Schumann of Cupcakes and Cashmere, who started her blog in, I believe, 2008 or so. And like, her partnership with Coach was one of the first ever brand influencer collaborations. And it was a very, you know, like, now you have brands telling influencers, yeah, you can be creative with it. Like, the brief is very loose. And like, I have brands tell me all the time, like, oh, yeah, we told them like, they can create the content how they want to, we really want it to be in, in their style, we are choosing them because we respect, you know, so and so sense of humor, or so and so uh, maybe existing franchise, and they're having someone uh, create branded content that fits into something that they're already known for, like a good example would be the story that I did, we had the exclusive on K-18's commercial with Anna Sitar, where uh, it was based on her I Don't Want It franchise. But that was not how it was before, right? Like you were putting the influencer into the brand's box and having them fit the brand's message and the brand's um, key points to a T. So it's really changed, I think, the dialogue between influencers and brands. And I also think that influencers now hold a lot more power than they than they might have originally, right? Where they've proven that they can move product. And like, you know, um, I'm working on a story about Elf right now and their Halo Glow product 
had a 75,000 person waitlist because of Michaela Nagara. Like when the influencers have that kind of selling power in their hands, it's created a very different dynamic where the brands are giving them more creativity and more leverage in terms of the campaigns. They're becoming more co-created rather than um, an assignment from the brand to the influencer, if that makes sense. And I think I have yet to see an Instagram Reels campaign where it leads to this really viral moment and spike in sales as a result that we've seen from TikTok over and over again this year. For example, Sarah, you did the story on when Matt Cosmetics Max Stack mascara went viral on TikTok and it became the number one mascara as Ulta Beauty as a result. And it was listed in Estee Lauder Company's financial report as one of its top selling products and one of the things driving the makeup resurgence. And that was one of the products that was in TikTok's year end list of its top selling TikTok made me buy it products. And then with Glossier, you had the Glossier U fragrance where some girl who wasn't even paid by Glossier to do this just posted this TikTok about how she had men coming up to her on the street and she had a guy that she went on two dates with, write a poem about her fragrance because she was wearing Glossier U and it went super viral. Glossier jumped on the trend and then was able to boost that post and eventually pay her after she made it and then kind of tapped into that whole trend and hired other influencers to post similar kinds of stuff. And that was also listed in the top selling list for the year. And I'm keeping an eye out to see if we see a similar thing like that with Instagram Reels or YouTube Shorts or other platforms. But it seems like the really crazy viral moments with beauty were really TikTok driven this year. I Yeah, okay. A few things. One, yes. And it, that is also so interesting that we're seeing this reversal of the playbook where the brands are responding to organic content that people are creating. And like, it always fascinates me. Like, you know, I just, for me, and maybe this is just like, so I'm like showing my age, but I just think of my grandma uh, telling me that Abercrombie should pay me to wear a shirt with their name emblazoned on it when I was in middle school. And that was like, to me, the height of coolness to, to wear a shirt with Abercrombie. But we are seeing people just, you know, again, completely for free, profess their love for X product or Y product. Um, and then the brand is like, well, great. And then they come along and boost it. But what I will say is I did one story um, earlier this year about um, soft services, um, which is, um, you know, body care brand um, created by a Glossier alums. And they had... Uh, done some seeding of their products and to this one influencer, Sarah Palmira. And I believe that she did exactly what Emma referred to before, which is that most reels are just content that was created on TikTok. So she made a TikTok about how one of their products had been really effective um, in treating her KP. And um, for whatever reason, this reel took off on Instagram. The TikTok did not take off. So soft services boosted it on Instagram. Um, and when they came to me telling me about their success, I thought, well, this is a perfect glossy pop story. Um, but 
it was the only example of that that I saw the entire year. Um, and so it's not, I, I guess that is enough anecdotal proof that it does happen. And there are people that are buying um, based on Instagram reels, but we're definitely not seeing anything like the hashtag TikTok made me buy it phenomenon. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if more brands can pull it off on other platforms. One final thing about social platforms this year, it's funny because we're talking about video so much, but the other big platform that's really taken off among Gen Z is Be Real, which is really going back to the analog days of Instagram, right? It's what Instagram originally was, but it's even more rigid in its rules. You have to take the photo within two minutes. Only photos, no video at all. But then you have all these influencers posting their B-reels all over their TikToks and their Instagram. So this is really interesting to see. Sarah, you've been covering a bunch of brands that have been doing branded content on B-reel. Where is this going? I am not sure this is going anywhere. <laughs> um, I don't know yet if this was a flash in the pan moment. I do think there's potential and I, I do think a lot of it rests on Be Real, which for now has uh, maintained its status slash existence as an ad-free platform. Um, the brands that are using, you know, Biosons did a campaign with be real for, and honestly, campaign feels slightly like a misnomer, but um, for its ho holiday that it uh, self-established, uh, I believe it International Squalane Day, um, and it it basically had different members of its team show their different Biosense products. Um, Elf has a Be Real account. Go Recipe has a Be Real account. I I myself don't post on Be Real every day, but when I do, I I am seeing that not all of the beauty brands that I follow are posting every day. I guess what I would say is that it points to a willingness of beauty brands to be early adopters, and I think that comes from some of the success that Elf had with TikTok. Like I think that like truly that that made such a big splash that brands are willing to try new platforms, and I think that's great. And I think that's exciting. And I think that that will lead to, you know, this more creativity and more fun stuff. And frankly, for all of us, more great stories. So great. But I, I, I'm not sure that be real. I'm not sure we're going to be able to tell a story about be real being the reason for a sellout product. You know, uh, if any of our listeners don't know, essentially, you have two minutes, Be Real takes a photo of uh, using your front-facing camera and your uh, normal camera um, at the same time. And so it's, and it's meant to, you know, capture your real moment at that exact moment and, you know, be a sort of break from the artifice of the rest of social media um, but so far, it's mostly showing like still lifes of brands products. And I think unless brands find a way to use it to maybe, I don't know, get offer fans a peek behind the curtain. I know that when Elf joined the platform, they used it. Um, they offered fans, I believe, a free free mini product set or something like that. But 
Um, right now, I don't think it has been used in a way that we're necessarily going to see move the needle. Yeah, I agree, Sarah. I really think Be Real kind of messed up a little bit. They had this huge surge of brand awareness, public attention, and they haven't done anything with that. I think that would have been the perfect moment to expand to five to 10 second videos. I myself have a Be Real I use it almost daily, but all I do is post my photos and then I never visit the app again. There needs to be something more compelling. More than once I've thought, oh, I'm seeing something. I wish I could take a video of it. There's no ability to search for or discover brands, influencers, celebrities, if there are any on there. So I think the discoverability is lacking. I think the engagement, aside from the daily alert that you get, is lacking. And I think in the case of whether or not it has the potential to create a viral product, I don't actually think that's necessary. I don't think every platform should have to have the end goal of creating a sales moment driving a viral product. I think it would be very interesting if there was a be real type of exclusive in the sense that every day, maybe for a week as part of a campaign, but to your point, it's a bit of a misnomer to use that term. But I think if a brand had, you know, once a day, a special type of discount, promotion, product exclusive, that could be very interesting as a form of engagement and camaraderie amongst followers. But then again, I'm I just not sure Be Real has it in itself to drive forward with these types of things. So we'll see. But I kind of agree that it's not necessarily as big a moment as we initially anticipated. Yeah, they've got big funding and some really big beauty brands are on there right now. L'Oreal Group brands are on there, but I definitely have not seen them post every day either. And when I talk to brands about it, they say, we don't really know what to do with this platform. So it'll be interesting to see. So moving on from the digital world into the physical world, one thing that's been a major challenge with social media this year has been the impact of the iOS changes on ad targeting. In the words of our partner publication Digiday, Apple's crackdown on in-app tracking upended the digital advertising industry and crippled advertisers' ability to know whether their mobile ads were working. So when it comes to beauty, this has been an especially big challenge for startup D2C brands that have relied so much on targeted ads. We've seen a much more aggressive push into retail by beauty startups this year. One of the biggest examples of this was Glossier, which up until this year had been very resistant to partnering with retailers. They made their way into Sephora for the first time. They were also being stocked at TJ Maxx. Is this the end of the D2C era for brands? In the sense of it being the end of D2C, I I don't think it's as much of a black and white issue as to say that D2C does not matter anymore. It will still exist. I think you will continue to see a lot of digitally native brands in the sense that they initially launch DTC. But I think that comes down to the fact that it's either very hard to find the retail partner or when you do find that retail partner, it's very cost prohibitive. You need to have a huge amount of inventory 
You possibly need to have a field team, even if you outsource it, rather than having an in-house field team, it's still expensive. You need to pay for the gondolas or the end of shelf uh, in order to display products. So I think you will continue to see DTC brands, but I think as soon as they are able to expand to retail, they will. There won't be the stalwarts that you saw like Glossier. In the case of Glossier, they're going to be launching in stores across the U.S. and Canada through Sephora uh, early next year, as well as available on Sephora.com and the Sephora app. They had a really rough year, um, to be quite honest about it. You know, they laid off their tech department. They pivoted away from sort of vaguely understood community-focused platform. They introduced a new CEO as Emily Weiss sort of stepped down, but is still with the company. Um, but they also had some wins in the case of Glossier YouTube Shoppable Shorts Challenge, which was the first of its kind. They named Olivia Rodrigo, a very prominent Gen Z celebrity, as their first celebrity brand ambassador. So I think it's a really big moment. I think a lot of people continue to look at Glossier as a bellwether for the beauty industry, for that sort of millennial brand, if you really want to call them that, um, and as well as a DTC brand. So, Yeah, when I think of this shift from the D to C era into retail, I also wonder what are the biggest factors. I wonder if millennial founders just had put too much faith in the idea that everyone would be buying each individual item that they needed from a different website, like their frying pans and their eyeliner, all from different D to C websites. Whereas you have all this survey data saying that Gen Z loves to shop at retailers, referencing Piper Sandler again. Their fall 2022 taking stock with teens survey said that Ulta Beauty is the number one preferred beauty destination. We had the founder of Bubble Skincare telling us at the Glossy Beauty Summit a few weeks ago that when they do surveys of Gen Z, 80% of them say they prefer to shop in store for skincare. So it seems like there are a variety of factors influencing this push into retailers. It's not just the iOS, but that's a big part of it. But there's also kind of a generational shift. And I think millennials don't really shop individually through D2C sites as much as anyone had hoped they would, any of these founders had hoped they would. There is no faster way for me to abandon a cart than a shipping charge. And I think most D2C sites do still have shipping charges. And ultimately, I think like, that's why we're seeing, you know, the return of like the, you know, one-stop shop, essentially. Like I, at the end of the day, even if I want something from you know, a specific store, I'm more likely to place like a target order or something if I can get everything in one box. And I think that's just like kind of practicality of a lot of like busy young people. Yeah, totally. And 
the number of retailers that brands are going into is also expanding. You're seeing a lot more trendy startup D2C type brands going into like a Walmart or a Target in addition to all the beauty retailers. And then you have all these other types of retailers getting into it as well. I just did a story on Erewhon building up its beauty section. So we're definitely seeing much more expansion and push into physical retail. It was a big year for retail, I think, coming out of the height of the pandemic between 2020 and 2021, because for a while stores had closed and everyone started shopping online. There was a question of what does this mean for retail? Is retail dead? What's the state of retail? Uh, Things like experiential retail coming out of the pandemic. But I think ultimately retail has proved its worth. We understand that there's actually a great convenience to having physical stores as opposed to having everything shipped to you. So I think all of this just shows that an omni-channel strategy exists for a reason, and that's because it's a tried and true method. So Emma, it's interesting that you're bringing up the importance of physical retail because another big trend that we've seen tech executives like Mark Zuckerberg trying to push this year has been the metaverse and this investment in the idea that we are all going to be living in a virtual world and want to do more VR activities than ever before. So we've seen a lot of beauty brands getting into metaverse marketing this year. So I thought we could talk about that next and discuss where we think this is going. Beauty brands have tried to get on so many metaverse-related trends this year. Meta is really heavily promoting the metaverse concept. We've seen beauty brands trying out all sorts of different virtual world formats. Some of them have been going on to existing platforms like Decentraland with virtual activations. Other ones have been doing their own in-house metaverse promotions. What do you guys think of where all this virtual reality activity is going? Are we going to see more of this in the coming year? I, I have two thoughts. One is more overarching, specifically when it comes to meta and their push into the metaverse. When what was Facebook at the time first went public, their S1 states, Facebook was never meant to be a public company. And I, in many ways, actually applaud what Mark Zuckerberg is doing by truly investing into developing the metaverse. I think it is applause worthy that he's not as concerned by investors and their short-term gains. I think we actually need more public companies that are willing to take a stand in the sense of pushing innovation forward and really truly investing in, in this case, I would count it as R&D. Um, and so I, I think that is something, despite all the negative press and the kind of enjoyment that I think the press actually takes in, you know, hitting meta with criticisms of its metaverse, with you know, the development of legs, <laughs> et cetera, I, I think that's, um, you know, a bit of an unpopular opinion. Having said that, 
I am not on the metaverse. I think my journey into virtual world really began and ended with Roller Coaster Tycoon. And I don't really see much appeal in virtual storefronts, which are in abundance. I don't really understand why anyone would want to shop that way. I suppose, though, just because that's not my own preference doesn't mean that there aren't people out there. I don't really see much appeal in live stream shopping, but we know that that's actually really huge, whether it's HSN or in the case of the entire market in China. So that's sort of my my initial two cents on it. I think we'll continue to see more brands in the metaverse. Unlike Be Real, I see this as having more of an impact and there being more opportunity for engagement, sell-through of products, and just interesting experimentations that brands can make, albeit very expensive. Yeah, in the beauty world, we haven't seen anyone on Meta's Horizon Worlds yet that I know of. It seems like the big places brands are going in terms of metaverse-related promotions are Decentraland and then Roblox, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And then we see these brands that aren't going on any platform. So for example, Sephora held its Sephora event in a totally virtual format, and it was a virtual world that was just on Sephora's own website, and they didn't turn to something like a Decentraland to hold it. They just had this kind of game-like platform on their own site. So I, I do kind of wonder if it's a holdover from the pandemic where brands maybe were investing in this earlier and were saying, okay, we're going totally virtual this year because we don't know what exactly is going to happen with the pandemic or if this is going to be part of a more permanent part of their marketing strategy. With Sephora, when I talked to them about Sephora, they said next year they're going to do a hybrid physical digital event. So they're definitely still interested in these kinds of formats, but I do wonder where it's going. Yeah, I think it's just really hard for anyone to have any kind of crystal ball simply because it's so new. I think it's really ahead of its time. I think there's huge potential, but at the same time, I could not give you a timeline. I very much agree with Emma, who, uh, in terms of not having much of a personal inclination to explore this, I did a story about Betches partnering with Off Sacks um, for a platform in which you don't have an avatar. Um, that was via a company called Obsess, which has been behind a lot of virtual storefronts. Um, and while the Betches platform was very cute and fun to play around. Um, I, I can't imagine necessarily actually shopping this way in terms of like, uh, a practical sense of like, I need a dress for this event. Let me go to a virtual storefront. And so I'm not sure if that's just me and I'm like aged out of it or, uh, you know, if it's meant for a younger demographic, but, I I don't I I don't personally know or have any prediction about whether or not this is like a you know like what we were saying about be real if this is like maybe a flash in the pan moment or something that will continue to build and have longevity. I don't think it's a flash in the pan moment, but until technology is at a point where it can really replicate what 
a dress looks like, how it looks on me, um, things like that. Very, very tactile, sensorial-based items. Then, then it will gain more traction. But that's a really long time off. Yes, because then it would have a use case. That, Absolutely. That actually change, like that would be life-changing, right? Like I feel like that's obviously, I mean, not to get too off track, but like that's, you know, one of the hesitations of shopping online is not knowing how something's going to fit you. If, if, if AI got to a point where you could see how something's going to fit you, I mean, sure, that would be great for everyone. Returns would go down. That's another story, but that would be incredible. I, I can't wait for that technology personally. And the other thing that's been talked about in relation with the metaverse has been NFTs, which have been on a roller coaster this year. Yeah, so we've seen so many beauty brands doing NFTs this year, but the global value of NFTs was $7.3 billion in the second quarter of this year. And according to the most recent stats, that has dropped by 77% to $1.6 billion in the third quarter. But we've still seen brands launching NFTs. There's been so much backlash to NFTs overall. There was a recent lawsuit against Jimmy Fallon, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Justin Bieber, who have been sued for promoting NFTs. So I wonder what's going to happen with brands next year, because we've seen so many of them promoting it. For example, Emma, you did some stories about brands NFT campaigns. I think you covered Clinique and NYX Cosmetics and a few. Are brands still going to be doing these next year? I'm really not sure. In the case of Clinique, they tied it to their loyalty program. It was the same with Lottie London, a UK-based cosmetics brand. They had tied it to a physical product. We definitely saw many brands who launched so-called digital NFTs, where an NFT corresponded with a physical item that people would receive in addition to purchasing the NFT. But in terms of it being more than just a gimmick or some kind of fandom tchotchke, I really don't see the value in owning them, making them, selling them. So I think we will see less and less importance on NFTs moving forward. Yeah, I've definitely noticed a shift among some brands. For example, I covered Paris Hilton's collab with Urban Decay, and Paris Hilton has been known as one of the queens of NFTs over the past few years, right? She's really been an evangelist for them. But when she did this recent campaign with Urban Decay, it was a metaverse campaign, but I asked her if there would be NFTs involved, and she said, no, there's no NFTs involved in this one. So they decided to do the campaign in Roblox, which is a gaming platform that is extremely popular, especially with young Gen Z consumers. And it predates all this metaverse talk and has been around and has a very ardent, valid user base. It's not an experimental thing. So... It's interesting because I think I've seen more brands express interest in Roblox. We're seeing more and more beauty brands sending 
PR packages to Roblox beauty influencers that they hadn't even noticed before. I talked to one Roblox beauty influencer this year who said she just started getting beauty PR this year. We've seen other brands doing Roblox campaigns. Emma, you covered the NARS Cosmetics campaign. So it seems like this is something that brands are really getting on. Yes, I agree with that. A lot of Roblox users are young. They're Gen Z. They're Gen Alpha. I think next year, I hate to break it to any of our Gen Z listeners, but I think we're going to see more focus on Gen Alpha in one way or another. And I think that's one of the biggest appeals behind Roblox. And it's an already established platform. You don't need to explain what it is as much as you might need to explain the Horizons Metaverse platform. Um, Same goes with Fortnite, although I don't know what opportunities, if there are any for beauty brands on Fortnite, but it's broken through to the mainstream. You don't have to explain it as in-depth as you might need to for something else. So with that, I think we can wrap up this episode with a few more predictions for next year. I'd love to hear what everyone's thinking. I personally don't call my predictions predictions. I feel like it's a little pundity to say, I think this is definitely going to happen. I like to take more of a reporter angle with it, but I can definitely talk about what I've been seeing and hearing from brand reps. What about you guys? What are your predictions or thoughts or what you've been hearing from brands about next year? Yeah, some of my expectations for at least the first half of next year is that unfortunately we have seen several indie brands across hair care, sexual wellness, general beauty have closed their doors. So I think given the current environment with our cost of living crisis, with our general economic volatility in the markets, that we will see several more close their doors. I would also be interested on a lighter separate note relating to TikTok is seeing more luxury brands start to play in the space. Given what Sarah was saying earlier on how it is a platform that's very unvarnished, it is ad lib, it's in the moment, you can't really have this picture perfect moment uh, that's not really appealing. I think it'll be very interesting to see luxury brands try and play in that space, given that's almost the antithesis of their business model. Interesting. How about you, Sarah? Yeah, first of all, it's very true what we're seeing about brands closing, and it's sad, um, but it definitely does seem like this sort of like golden beauty boom is possibly coming to an end. Um, That said, (laughs) I don't think that we're going to see a slowdown of launches from brands that are doing very well. Um, I think we're going to see a huge shift um, that definitely has started already to body care. I do have a story coming out uh, about this. Um, But essentially, like, we have so, so much specific skincare, you know, from under eye serums to patches specific to chin acne. Um, And now there is a sort of collective, oh, what about the other 90% of our body? So this was sort of 
started by brands that were very forward thinking like Necessaire. Um, and now there are a ton, a ton, a ton of either existing brands that are breaking into body. Um, JLo Beauty has body care products uh, both coming. They also launched a dedicated butt product a couple months ago. Um, and also a, a flurry of brands that are dedicated to body care. So that's a big thing for me. And I am also just interested in sort of, we talked about this at the top, but um, the the future of TikTok and the future of platforms, I think we will see um, a lot of creators diversify and post content on YouTube shorts as well. But I'm curious what other platforms we see um, take a share of the attention pie in 2023. I don't really have a prediction. I just think that it's going to consistently change. And I don't know that one platform will maintain the like lion's share of, um, of, I guess, attention the way that Instagram did for like the better part of a decade. Yeah. My prediction is around platforms. It's kind of going back to the metaverse topic. I think we're going to see a lot more investment in new platforms that beauty brands haven't really been on. Like you guys said about the early adoption, it seems like brands are really invested in finding things to be early adopters on, but they do seem to be looking a lot more at stuff that has an established user base instead of saying, oh, I'm going to go on this brand new platform that's untested where there's not really a ton of people on it yet. I think more of them are looking for things where there are hundreds of millions of users or tens of millions and trying to tap into those existing communities. For example, I think Roblox is a really good example of that. We had brands experimenting with these smaller metaverse platforms earlier in the year and now we're seeing more of the Roblox. Beyond that, there's also just interest in other apps that people are using really avidly that brands have kind of overlooked. For example, I just recently had a story come out about Prada Candy Fragrance's recent campaign with the app Candy Crush, which everyone plays. You see it on the subway constantly if you're in New York. And you haven't really seen beauty brands collab with that. And they did an ad on that and it was super successful. It drove a spike in traffic and helps their sales. So I think we definitely are going to see much more early adoption, but they definitely want to see something that gives a return on investment. So I think we'll see much more weird collaborations that we might not have predicted in the coming year. Thanks, Emma and Sarah, for joining me today. We're taking a week off for the holidays, so no new episode next week. But we'll be back on January 5th for a new year of the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Happy holidays.